part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. And Father, we proclaim your greatness. Father, we join with the angels that for uh, uh, since you created them have been standing there at your throne saying, Holy, 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 repeating that for thousands and thousands of years, Father. And yet they tire not because as they look upon you, Father, they see your holiness. They see how you are. And it just comes as natural as breath to them. And, Father, we pray that that would be our worship, that it would just come as natural as our own breath, Father, that we would understand how great you are. And, Father, that we would just sing these songs, Father, not out of uh, any kind of compulsion, Father, nothing uh, that would be driven by man, but, Father, just because of your greatness and that we would just from our very soul proclaim that. So we love you. We thank you now as we open up your word, Father. We pray that you would uh, just shine light on it. Father, show us our heart, our minds. Father, show us uh, uh, by your corrective word how it corrects us, but also, Father, how it builds us up, especially in this area, Father, of forgiveness, so difficult for us. And yet, Father, we have no grander of a, uh, an example before us than your forgiveness of us through Christ. So, Father, thank you that you have paved the way. You have now invited us and called us, commanded us to forgive and invite us even to reconcile, Father. And we pray that we would have understanding to that today as we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. As you're seated this morning, uh, open your Bibles to Philemon. This is going to be our last time of in the book of Philemon. And um, come to the end of it, and we've been traveling through this storyline that was an actual account. This really happened, so it's not just like a fairy tale. These are actual people. And uh, we've been following along. If you're not familiar with Philemon in the Bible, uh, in my Bible at least, it's, the, it's in the New Testament. It's almost at the very end. It's right before Hebrews. It's only on one page. It's a, a letter. It was a personal letter from Paul to Philemon. And so it's not very long. You could skip it real easily if you didn't know exactly where it was. But this morning we're going to take it to the, the, the natural ending of where it's leading to. We've talked about forgiveness we talked about how forgiveness is commanded. As Christians, we're commanded to forgive. Really not left an option. We're commanded by Christ and by the example of Christ that as we are forgiven, that we are to forgive. And so that's commanded to us. And yet we introduced something last week that was not a command, but yet a call. And that was reconciliation. We said that very much Christ has not just forgiven us. He has actually reconciled us, made us in right relationship with holy God. So he didn't just say, okay, you're forgiven. Uh, you don't have to suffer the, the wrath of hell as a penalty. He, he could have just said that, okay, I, I forgive you and not reestablish the broken relationship. But he reconciled us. He bought, brought us back into a right relationship. Well, this morning we're going to see that it actually goes even one more step. You would think, okay, my goodness, I'm having trouble forgiving how much more to reconcile. What else would God ask of me? Well, it's not so much what God is asking, but it's the fruit of forgiveness and reconciliation, and that is peace. But what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of that word peace? And that's a question. It's not rhetorical, so you can kind of just, what's the first thing that pops in your mind when you think of peace? Tranquility? Okay. What else? The opposite of Q. Okay. Yes. I would think more chaos cue, but, you know, that's okay. That's okay. Anybody else? First thing that pops in your mind in peace. It really isn't that hard of a question because something popped in your mind. Uh, maybe you even looked at it. Peace. What's the first thing that enters your mind when you think that word peace? Okay, happiness. 
Yeah, joy. See, we can think about peace either on a global level, you know, world peace. We can think about peace in more of a personal level, peace in our own relationships. We can think about peace in a political nature. You know, those Democrats and those Republicans, I hope that they can come to you know, some kind of a solution. Peace is one of those things that we see is a constant need in our lives, personally, kind of on a national level, on a global level. And yet, it's one of those things that really can escape a lot of people, especially in relationships. In fact, peace was one of the first victims of the fall. Before that, God had peace with man. Man had peace with God. Adam and Eve had peace with each other. Everybody was at peace. Even the animals that God had created were at peace with one another. You know, you could go out and you didn't have to worry about that big lion. You could just go there and pet that lion. I mean, there was a world of peace. Tranquility would be a a great example of that. And yet here comes the fall. In man's rebellion, Adam and Eve turn against God's will. They turn to their own will. And in that sin, in that rebellion against the will of God, Sin comes into the world. And one of the first things that we see, guys, that kind of gets out of the picture is peace. No longer is man at peace with God. No longer is man even at peace with nature. I mean, they get cast out of that perfect place all of a sudden where there were no thorns. Now there's thorns where there wasn't, you know, going to be, I believe there probably would not have been any uh, uh, pain in childbirth. Now there's pain in childbirth. We just see all these different things that come as a result of this fall And it hits at a very personal level. Now we've continued for thousands and thousands of years and we begin to see that uh, many of us live at a place in time where we really don't have that perfect peace in our lives. And we long for that peace. Ever since that fall, I want you to understand that ever since Adam and Eve fell from, in, in that rebellion of sin, that they fell from that and they lacked that peace, we have been searching for peace ever since. And we try to find it in all kinds of different things. We think maybe, if, okay, if I get the right job, if I get the right partner, if I get the right marriage, if I get the right this, the right that, then maybe I will have peace. And yet, peace seems to be very elusive. And so we finally kind of just reside that maybe in this earth we're never going to have really permanent peace or a constant peace. And we're going to have to wait for that to win. To heaven. And here's a trap that we often fall into. We all do it. So this is not trying to, to, to paint names or anything like this. So oftentimes, you know what the trap of, of thinking about heaven is? As we think about being a place of peace, and it is a place of peace. No more crying, no more pain. All, all the relationships are right. That's all good. But you know what we get even more than peace when we get to heaven? We get God, the author of that peace. And so sometimes I get the whole thing, man, you know, people get frustrated with life or maybe uh, they just have have had a long life and now maybe they're troubled by physical affirmities and different things and they're going, you know, I just, I'm waiting for heaven. I get that. I truly do. Why? Because we have this longing to be at peace. And that's what we equate heaven with. And it really is going to be a place of peace, not just because of, you know, all these wrong things are fixed, but because of God. And it's the result of the work of Christ. Everything that we get in heaven is because of the work of Christ. Peace, peace with God, peace with each other, even peace in this, if you want to say bodily or spiritual way, comes. We're going to have a perfect body there. We were just studying in our class this morning in Romans chapter 8. It says, you know, 
that this life is futile and that even this body is futile. To the ones that ran the 5K yesterday, would you agree that this morning that this body is futile? Yeah. And and we understand that. We go, man, I'm not getting better. I'm kind of falling apart. And so we long for this peace, even on this physical way. Well, heaven is going to be that answer, folks, is all as a result of the work of Christ. And I want you to make sure that you connect that. The peace that we get is because of the work of Christ. Without the work of Christ, we do not have spiritual peace. We will not have the physical peace. All those things that you think of when you think of heaven. But do we have to wait to heaven to have at least some of that peace? No. The Bible, and because of what Christ has done, the Bible tells us that we can have peace with God even now. Is it a permanent peace in the sense that, you know, we walk perfectly? No. Man, I sin every day. You sin every day. So it's kind of an imperfect walk, but yet we have, theologically at least, a peace with God. We even have peace with one another from time to time. But there are those times that we don't have peace one with another. Sometimes it's even in the intimacy of marriage. Other times it's the intimacy of family. Other times it could be even in the intimacy of a church. We don't have, you know, peace with another person because they said this and it hurt our feelings. All those kind of things, that lack of peace. Well, I want you to know that the same answer that uh, that that makes peace possible in heaven is the answer that makes peace possible now in your marriage, among your family, in a church, even between Republicans and Democrats. Christ. Not trying to be silly, just Christ is that answer. He's the, the one that would allow us to have this peace. And so here's what we want to do this morning. We want to finish out and see what God calls us into here. Uh, We see that uh, uh, Paul kind of intervenes between two guys. Uh, One guy's name is Philemon. He's actually the one that Paul wrote the letter to. He is a wealthy man. He has become a Christian. And they actually have life group and kind of do church in his home. He had uh, within his... Uh, many different servants, and one of those was a man by the name of Onesimus. And Onesimus, for whatever reason, decides to run away from his servanthood that's there. And along the way, we, we don't know the details, but he takes something. We don't know if it's $1,000. We don't know if it's mom's precious jewelry. We, we really don't know. But he takes something to the point where, you know, Philemon goes, man, not only did you run away... But, but number two, you took something from me. You robbed me. So we have two warring parties. Onesimus, who wants to run away as far as he can, he goes a thousand miles to Rome. He tries, a thousand miles in those days was a long way. So it's still a long way today, but a thousand miles in those days, can you imagine when you didn't have planes or cars or anything like that? So he gets a thousand miles away, but by the grace of God and by the providence of God, Paul's there. Somehow Onesimus meets Paul. Paul then leads him to trust Christ as the treasure of his life and as the source of his salvation. He becomes a Christian. And then Paul does this. Paul says, look, Onesimus, you know, I know you want a new life, but you will never have a new life until you resolve your old things. I could stop right there, guys, and that's just a lesson of life. That we can never start something new if we haven't finished the business of the old. And so what Paul does, he says, look, I want you to go back. And, and, and you know, he writes to Philemon and he says, I want you to forgive this servant of yours that ran away and stole something. I want you to forgive him 
and restore, not only forgive, but reconcile and have a right relationship with them. Now, here's one of the most important parts of what Paul is asking. Is this, is if, if you're in one of those broken relationships, this is so important for you to know. Paul never minimizes the hurt of the offense. Sometimes we think in Christianity that we're just supposed to say, okay, it really hurt, and yet I'm not supposed to be upset or anything like that. And we act like God is just sweeping things under the rug. He doesn't do that. He does not minimize your hurt. You know what he does? He maximizes the power of the gospel. And there is a difference, guys. Because if God just said, suck it up, buttercup, if his whole attitude to the hurts of your life was, it's no big deal, is that the kind of God? I mean, is really, do you think that's the character of God? No, he makes much of sin that he would give his own son to cure it. So when there's kind of this you know, unreconciled anger and lack of forgiveness in our relationships, God doesn't ask you as a Christian just to sweep it under the ground to minimize your hurt and your pain. No, he says, look, I want the maximum power of the gospel to be applied here. Very important for us to understand that. And then as we got into last week, we, we understand that he wants us to move from forgiveness to reconciliation. And then he adds one more. He, he wants us to come to a place of peace in our lives. Uh, Paul makes no attempt to play down the offense. He, he wants Onesimus to take full responsibility of what he's done wrong and go back and to ask for forgiveness. So, so there's a lot going on here. Look at Philemon chapter 1. It's only one chapter. Verse 17. Paul centers everything that he's asking, both of Onesimus and Philemon, around one thing. Not their emotions, not the amount of hurt. He doesn't say, okay, that's under $5,000 that uh, goes into this. This is not a felony. This is just a misdemeanor by the extent of law. He doesn't try to give any qualification to those things. He centers everything that's going to happen in this book, in this letter one to another, in this relationship upon one thing, and that is the work of Christ. Very important for us to understand. Verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. He said, Philemon, you and I are at peace. We don't have any odds against us. And what I'm asking you is that you would now accept our new brother in Christ in the same way that you would receive me. Red peace. And, and, and now, as another Christian, I want you to come in on this premise of the peace of Christ. And, and he wants us to, to, to come in and, and for Philemon to embrace that. Now, when that happened theologically to you and I, us, sinners before a holy God, and we came to that place where we really did confess our sin, hey, we've rebelled against a holy God, your salvation changes in a microsecond. If, if not faster. Instantaneously, you go from being an enemy of God to a child of the living God, all because of the work of Christ. Now, I say that because I want you to know how powerful this gospel is. Colossians 1.20 puts it this way. And through him, that is through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making what? Peace by the blood of the cross. He said, okay, you get forgiveness, then you get reconciliation. You actually restore this broken relationship. And then the fruit of this reconciliation is peace. I want you to make sure that you understand all three of those. 
Because a lot of times we lack peace, and we wonder why we lack peace in a situation. It's because, number one, maybe we haven't forgiven, then we haven't certainly reconciled. It was enough for us just to think that we had to forgive this person, so we haven't reconciled with this person. The fruit of reconciliation, not instantaneously, yes, theologically instantaneously, with you and I in Christ, but not in one another. It may be one of those things in a marriage, guys, that reconciliation is a process that takes weeks, months, years. In a family squabble, it could take weeks, months, years. In a church squabble, it could take weeks, months, years. So I want you to know that theologically, when Christ forgave you, this wasn't a process. He didn't say, I like you a little bit more today, Ricky, than I did yesterday. Keep it up. No, he says, no, you come to me, you trust the work of Christ, you are my son, and I restore and I bring you peace instantly. But please understand, that power is there for us. God can do that instantaneous work. But I realize with us, because we're kind of broken people in a broken world, sometimes for us it's more of a process. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to go through... Three different things this morning. I don't want to call them steps because I don't like steps. Because the minute I say three steps to something, you're going, good steps. I'm going to go through these three things, and instantly I'm going to be a better Christian. And it's all on us, and it's a heavy weight to put on anybody. No, this is through the power of God. And so these are more three realizations. And I'm not just playing word games there, but realization is recognizing what is truth. And so these are three realizations that you and I must have if we're going to go through forgiveness, reconciliation, and then have this fruit of peace that begins to happen in this broken relationship. Number one, very practical. Last week we covered the theological. This week the very practical. Number one, realize that there may be a need for a peacemaker. This is especially true in a marriage. People go, well, we're just going to work on it ourselves. Please hear my heart on this. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be crude. How's that working for you sometimes? Sometimes it it does work. Sometimes you can be so serious. You can come to your knees together before God, and you really don't need that third person. But in a lot of situations, it gets so toxic. It becomes so kind of just, you know, kind of like this. Sometimes you need that third person. Not that they're smarter than you. Not that they have all the answers. That may be a pastor. It may be somebody else. It doesn't always have to be a professional. But please, understand this. Because I've heard some pastors give really sorry, non-biblical kind of advice. And I've seen some people that have, they're a Christian counselor and they have the fish out there. And the fish kind of smells, guys. Because they do not give biblical counseling. Just because you have a fish out there doesn't mean that you're going to give gospel-centered, Christ-oriented counsel. So whether you go to a professional, a pastor, or a friend, please make sure that if you go and you get this third party to be involved in this, that they are somebody that loves Christ well and is growing in their relationship with Christ. doesn't mean they're perfect. You won't find a perfect pastor, a perfect professional, or even a perfect friend. But make sure that they are growing in Christ a mature, Christ-centered believer. Look what Paul does in verse 18. He gets real personal. He says, If he, that is Onesimus, has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. 
when you get a third person involved, it usually is going to cost you. And I don't mean dollars. I mean, it, usually, if you're going to be, sometimes you're going to be that peacemaker. Sometimes it's a mom or a dad who's a peace, peacemaker with something that's happening with the kids. But there's like this personal cost that if you're going to go in, you kind of have to go all in. And Paul says, look, I'm sending Onesimus back to you, Philemon. I want you to forgive him. I want you to restore this relationship. I want you to eventually have this fruit of peace in this relationship. But, but I want you to know that if there's a cost, if you're just waiting for things to, to kind of get settled, I'm willing to pay whatever that cost is. I think he meant that mentally. I think he meant that uh, physically. If there was a $5,000 debt, that something, a jewel or something that he stole, that, that Paul was willing to, to do that, he was vested in his counseling to these two. He doesn't hesitate to get personally involved. Look at verse 19. He says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. It's one of the few things that we have in the New Testament, all these letters of Paul, all these epistles that Paul actually said I wrote myself. All the other ones, more than likely, he had somebody there writing down as he would dictate to them. But Paul says that for two reasons. Number one, because it's a personal letter. The number two thing is back in the New Testament times, if you signed an IOU, you put your personal name on it. You, you did it in your own handwriting, and you put your own name. And a lot of scholars believe that what Paul was saying this by, you know, hey, I wrote this with my own hand. He says, look, really, you can't. If, if he owes you $5,000 and you want that to remedy this situation, I'll come up with $5,000. He's personally involved in seeing that these two not only forgive one another, but reconcile so that the fruit of that peace can be there. Second thing, realize the role and the responsibility of both parties. Number one, understand that maybe sometimes you have to get a third party involved, a peacemaker, somebody just to be referee and blow the whistle when you go out of bounds. But number two, realize that you have a role and responsibility whether you're the offended or the offender. Paul may be writing to Philemon, but he's asking something from both parties. He makes no guarantees to Onesimus. You notice that when he says, Onesimus, you go back and seek forgiveness from Philemon. He doesn't say, and I promise you, you're going to get off scot-free. I promise you, he's going to restore you as a brother, not as a servant. He makes no guarantees. He doesn't even guarantee Philemon that Onesimus is going to have the right attitude when he comes back. He makes no demands of him. Look what happens um, of what Paul wrote to the Romans, Romans 12, 17, 18. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It's what we covered a lot last week, verse 18. And 17 kind of sets that up. It kind of tees it up. Repay no one evil for evil. Because isn't that your kind of natural gut reaction when somebody harms you? When somebody, you know, it's kind of like the old school advice. Hit them before they hit you, or if they do hit you, hit them back harder. And it's just kind of this mentality, kind of a street mentality, that this is how you survive in the world. And if somebody does this to you, you just, man, you make sure you push them back even farther. Folks, there's a practical sense in the world that that seems like it's the right thing, but it's not the way of Christ. We would have never been reconciled to a holy God if that was God's 
oh, you did this to me? Here's what I'm going to do for you. You're talking about fireballs from heaven coming down. If he would have taken that approach, but he doesn't. He sends his only son to forgive us, to redeem us. Why? So ultimately we can have peace. God's got a lot invested here. But he does call for responsibility. What are the things that he calls for? Number one, honesty. If you're the offender, you've offended somebody, God calls for you to be honest and own up to it. Have you ever had somebody apologize to you and then explain away the apology? Well, Jeff, I'm really sorry, but if you would not have done that, then I wouldn't have gotten mad. And so, uh, so I, you know, I apologize, man. But, man, you started it. I mean, basically, that, isn't that what I'm saying? Now, we've never done that in marriage, I know. You know, marriage is one of those, you know, sanctified places where we have never apologized to our spouse in such a way. But, I mean, how do you feel when you get that kind of apology? I'm sorry, but... And then they slide you into the offender stage rather than in, instead of the, you know, the, or the offended... How do they switch? If we want true biblical reconciliation, forgiveness, reconciliation, and we want the fruit of peace, guys, it's just being honest. It's what we call biblically repentance. That you own what you did. Hey, I hurt you. I hurt you. And I'm not minimizing the hurt. I know it hurt a lot. But I come and I ask for your forgiveness because I want us to be reconciled. Here's the truth that I have found to be true in counseling all these years. There will never be genuine reconciliation unless there is genuine repentance. You can have some forgiveness. You can politely wave to each other at the family reunion, at the church, in the home. Hi, husband. Hi, wife. I mean, you can coexist. Without that, but without genuine repentance, guys, that is owning up and saying, look, I offended you. I hurt you. What I did was hurtful to you, and I take ownership of this, and there is no buts. There is no explanation. I fell. But I come to you, and I ask for your forgiveness. When we stand up, and we do that, guys, and there's genuine repentance in our lives, then there can be genuine reconciliation at that point. So it takes honesty. Another thing that it takes uh, is for the offended, sometimes to be honest, that life is not fair. I bet you wondered, didn't you? A lot of times with a couple when there's uh, been uh, really a, a bad evil perpetrated one against the other, maybe something like even an affair or something like that, I go to the offended party, the wife or the husband. I said, I I need you to understand your role if there's going to be reconciliation. You were not the one that went out there and cheated. You were not the one that did this. You were not the... But you've been given a shovel. It's not fair. There's nothing fair about it. But you have a shovel. And he or she dug their own grave with their offense. And they're six foot down in this grave. And by all means of earthly wisdom, they deserve to be buried in their sin. But here's the thing. You hold a shovel. 
You didn't ask for it. You didn't want that power. But I want you to realize you have a power here. You have a role and a responsibility if there's going to be reconciliation. Because one of the first things that husband or that wife, that offended party says, well, I never asked for this. I get that. See, this, in this whole sense of fairness, guys, that's not fair. But if you are the offended party, understand that whether it's in marriage, whether it's in a family situation, whether it's in a church situation, you've been given the power to bury that person or not. Because here's what happens sometimes in a marriage, just to use that as an example. Let's say it's the guy who somehow has offended. And he's down in the grave that he dug himself. And there's a rightness about, man, I'm, I'm in this grave and I should be buried here. Well, here's the offended party there. And, and if they want to, about once a week, not once a day, they can take some of that dirt and throw it right in the face of that person. And there will never be reconciliation. There will never be restoration. Uh, Guys, I get it. This is tough stuff. When you're the offended, you're going, I didn't even want the shovel. Understand, you've got the shovel. There's some power there. Are you going to bury somebody, leave them in their sin? Or if they're coming in true repentance, this is only if there's true repentance, are you going to let them out of that grave? Because this is what Christ has done for us, guys. Okay, That's our one model. Not our feelings, not our emotions, not I'm really... Christ, when he had every opportunity to remind me daily of my sin, you know what he points me to? is not the dirt that I have caused. He points me back to the cross and how he has lived there. Amen? Amen. So this, there's a role and a responsibility for us to be honest. The second thing that we have to realize there is that we have to do that in humility. And humility is one of those things with true repentance that's going to come almost naturally. You know, when, when there truly is true brokenness for our sins. We, we don't make excuses and, and we come humbly. And we don't come demanding. Because as Christians, we can even do that. You notice that Paul here commands, as he does in other writings, Philemon to forgive. He does not command him to reconcile. But there is a call to reconcile. Why doesn't he command us? Why doesn't the Bible, why doesn't God command us to reconcile? Because it takes two parties. And God, I don't think, is going to invade free will there. And for some reason, you have every intention. For example, in a broken marriage, you have every intention to make it right to your husband or your wife. And they just say, no, I, I can't get past this. So God doesn't command us to reconcile. But he certainly does call us to that. Because that is the example of of Christ. Number three. If you forgive and you decide, especially as the offended, or the offender, if you forgive, if you ask for forgiveness, if your determination is to reconcile, realize that the fruit of that reconciliation, the peace, is not always immediate. How many of you would plant, let's say, the 19th, March 19th, would plant a tree in your backyard for oranges if by in a month and a half you could have a crop of oranges? Or peaches, or apples. I mean, pick your fruit. Okay, pick your fruit. 
You know why a lot of people don't do that? Number one, because maybe you don't live in the climate where that would be. But, but another reason is, you know how long it takes like a pear tree or uh, cherry trees? You know how long it takes? You plant it, and it can be five years up to five years later before you get your first fruit. That is a lot of waiting, isn't it, for the fruit of that cherry? You're going, but I planted the tree. Why isn't it making cherries? Is it, it's the way that God made it. It takes about five to seven years for cherries to start to reproduce on there or, or start to be produced. And you get the fruit of that. And sometimes reconciliation and peace is going to be like that. That you can do all the right things, you can make all the right moves, and yet sometimes the heart is tender. The memory, you know, this forgive and forget, that's humanly impossible, I think. You know, to, to really, you can forgive and erase the debt, but to forget, well, we do kind of remember. So sometimes this is a process that happens. But here's the, 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 the profound truth. You're never going to get fruit if you don't plant the tree or the seed. You don't just say, okay, man, I just really, really wish I had cherries. I could go in the backyard and get cherries. You're never going to have, even if it takes five or seven years, if you never plant the tree, if you never plant the fruit, you're never going to. So somewhere you've got to start this whole process of forgiveness, reconciliation, if you really do want peace in that situation, in that marriage, in that family situation, in that church, out there in life. Verse 20, as we close this morning. Paul says, and some people read this as being kind of, Paul being a little bit heavy-handed, kind of like a side compliment, kind of a side, kind of, okay, I know you're going to do this. I think it's genuine here. He says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. I don't think he's putting his thumb down on Philemon. The word that's used there, refresh, in the Greek, it's a really cool word. The word refresh means after there's been war and, and men in battle have marched miles after miles after miles and they finally get to the place where they're away from the war and they can rest, that's the word. So he says, okay, I want you to bring, if you look back up in verse 7, if you have your Bibles open there, in verse 7, remember he said, I've heard about your refreshment to others. In other words, You've led them to a place of peace in, in their relationships. Now he uses it again in 20, and he uses it directly with Philemon. He says, I've heard that you've been a refreshment, a breath of fresh air, a place of peace for many, many people. And, and now, Philemon, I'm just asking, hey, will you bring that into our relationship and into the relationship with Onesimus? It's real personal. So as we close this morning, over these last couple of weeks, maybe you've come to a place where you're going, okay, Bobby, I know God has called me to forgive this person. In fact, he's commanded me to forgive this person because I've been forgiven in Christ. And so, um, so I'm going to do that. But I'm just not there for that reconciliation part. Please understand, folks, you can really only do that through the power of Christ. And please understand this. You're never going to have true peace in that relationship unless there's reconciliation. Peace doesn't come before reconciliation. Forgiveness erases the debt. And yet there can still be anger. There can still be a lot of things. You just don't hold it against them anymore. You kind of forgive, but I promise you, for the most part, you don't forget. 
That's why God has provided us these other places to go. Hey, forgive? Jeff, I'm sorry. No, if ands or buts, I'm just sorry, man. I, I hurt you by this. I own up to that, and I ask on the basis of Christ that you would forgive me. And then in the res- role in the responsibility, as he has that shovel, he can bury me in my sin, or he can say, you know, Christ threw away the shovel to throw it in my face, and I do the same, brother. And we reconcile. And then as we reconcile, and we're good friends, so don't think that we're <laughs> fighting here, okay? But then, it may take a week. Jeff, it could take a month. It could take a day. It could come instantaneously. Or it could take a couple of years for that peace, the fruit of that peace, to, to come back into that relationship. But at least we've made the opportunity now. We've planted the seeds. And now, by the va- very power of the love of Christ and the power of Christ, now something can grow there. Does that make sense? Enough said? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, we thank you for the hope of Christ. Father, when we began this series, a lot of us would have thought, hey, if I can just forgive, huh, that's pretty champion of me. That's pretty big of me if I can just come to a place of forgiveness. And Father, we didn't even think about reconciliation, much less providing an opportunity for your peace to come back into that relationship. Father, as much as we long for heaven to have ultimate peace, Father, will you give us a thirst for peace right now in broken relationships, broken marriages, broken family deals, broken church things, broken things at work? That, Father, as you make us aware and bring to our mind relationships that need reconciliation and repair, that we would march forward whether we are the offender or the offended. And, follow that we would just follow what you've done in Christ. Father, I pray for those husbands and wives and family members and and other people who've been left holding the shovel, Father. I feel for them because it's not fair. They didn't ask for that to happen. And yet, Father, I pray that they would understand even this day, Father, the role and the responsibility that they have. They can bury that person in their sin or they can throw down the shovel and say, I see repentance, I see brokenness, I see humility in your life. And it may take a while but I ask you back into my life so that the peace of God can reign and rule over this relationship. We love you, Father. We thank you. And now we just worship you through song and through a time of reflection, Father, upon this great truth, Father, that we find in your word as we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.